0: Today, here with me, I have Jared from the Orion Training Group, otherwise known as ATG. Jared is a husband. Jared is a law enforcement officer. Jared is a 2A advocate. Jared, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on.
0: Awesome. Why don't you uh, pronounce your last name as well? Uh, I didn't want to try it in my, in, in my intro. <laughs> I, I, I caught
1: that. Yeah, it's uh, it's Arsinoe, so the E-A-U-X is silent. So
0: Arsinoe, yeah. Awesome man, um, I didn't I didn't want to butcher it in the intro, so you just got to be Jared. Uh, <laughs> that works. Awesome, Jared. Well, uh, so the way that we kind of do it on the Purpose Podcast is uh, I give you a little bit of an intro as I just did, and then we're gonna jump right into a couple rapid fire questions. You know, you and I have kind of been talking. Uh, we've talked on Instagram. We have a little bit of a rapport built, but uh, just to just to help speed that along before we get into the serious stuff, I have a few little kind of silly questions uh for you so number one is going to be what is your favorite lift and why
1: Mm. um it's going to be romanian deadlift and uh that is because it it really builds the hamstrings and the glutes and it's a very visceral thing right you can out romanian deadlift somebody it's just a there's not a whole lot else you can say if somebody can do that you know more than you or you can do it more than someone else it's a good uh it's a man lift i guess and it's functional it's not like bench press right i love i love a good bench press but if i can i can crush you on an rdl you really can't say anything
0: so what about is it are are you lumping conventional deadlift in there with that or is there a difference is there a qualifier for some reason like why not the conventional um Um,
1: i like i like rdls one because it's harder uh and two because it it does use more of the hamstring and less of the rest of the leg and it doesn't put as much strain on the lower back
0: Awesome. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I'll I'll uh, I won't make those jokes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and for anyone uh,
1: listening to that, okay, I know it's like people are gonna people are gonna say something about it. My raw max, so no straps, no belts, no knee wraps or any of that other crap, is five hundred five on RDLs. So that's, that's fairly wild. high for an R. That's pretty high for an RDL, especially for somebody who weighs like two hundred fifteen pounds. So, uh, yeah. cheers to whoever can do more than that.
0: That's wild. Yeah. Uh, RDLs uh, what I saw a meme the other day and it said, yeah, any exercise that you do wrong enough is a low back exercise. And so, um, that's, <laughs> that's kind of <beautiful>. my experience. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my beautiful. experience with, with deadlifts and RDLs. I, I've got, it's, it's too long of a story to get into, but I've got some pretty messed up knees. And so my legs are really weak. And so basically I've just been, I guess I've been doing RDLs when I thought I was doing regular deadlifts and, uh, mm-hmm. I've got up to, uh, like three, i can rdl 315 um it's it's like technically an rdl but like i said i was just doing it wrong enough (laughs) doing the conventional deadlift wrong enough but that's what a lot of people say yeah so um the uh okay so here's here's a good one uh lpvo or the dot or hollow slash magnifier what 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 is your preference
1: um, I am not a fan of half measures. Magnifiers strike me as half measures. So why do I want four times when I could have 10? So if I'm going to use a magnification, I want it to be magnification. Uh, Sweet. Magnifiers, they strike me as like a halfway. So I have one set up with a Neotech on it. I don't have a magnifier. And I have another one with a 1x8 with a dot mounted on top. Just slightly different purposes, but the same rifle, two, two different LWRCs.
0: Sweet. So are you, are you a fan of the offset or you said dot on top, but um, offset slash secondary dot, is that what you're a fan of?
1: Yeah. I like that a lot for something with a magnified optic. And when you put the dot on top, it's just a more natural movement and then having to rotate the rifle. Not that either one's wrong. It's just my preference. It's more natural for me to simply get my head down onto the gun and pick it back up to move between those two. Um, Another reason I like the dot on top. If you have the dot pointed at something, you're going to have the scope pointed at it if it's on top. So if I acquire something and then I want to positively ID it, I just bring my head down into do the magnified optic, right? Versus, okay, I've got it at 45. Now let me rotate it. It's not call of duty. Right. So yeah. it's, um, you know, you lose some of that advantage of being able to just basically spot for yourself and then magnify if you have it at a 45.
0: That makes sense. And, and Grantham actually made that, uh, Mike, he made that, that distinction. He even said it with the 45, but it, you're right. It's even better with the, the on top versus Mm-hmm. um, you know, directly in line with one another. And I would think that I know, I know very, very little about CQB. So if I say something retarded, just tell me, but, um, <laughs> I, I would think that even with, you know, the, uh, the, the dot on top, it would help with your, with your rifle maneuvers because I mean, half the time you're at what is considered like a, a lower ready anyway, aren't you? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like a scanning position and having that dot on top of the scope puts it at like a 2.5 almost so like i run my eotech on a 2.33 so having a dot on top of a normal scope is almost the same it's the gun is at a lower position on your shoulder but the optic is still high up i like that a lot it's good for passive aiming with night vision too um so that's that's
0: nice as well sweet i like that i like that answer and uh and well we saw how good lpvo's were in in nashville i guess actually it came out that he wasn't using an lpvo wasn't didn't it? He used his forty five offset. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I was thinking. So, uh, yeah, try. But everybody sure wants
1: to buy the sure. you know they want to buy the gear that they saw. So, and was like, <laughs> oh, LPBO copies of LPBO. I'm like, bruh, uh, that's, that's a funny. great thing to have. But he was actually shooting the shooter with a uh, forty five offset.
0: Yeah. So that that made, yeah that came out afterwards, and he was saying, I don't I, I, again, I don't know how any of this works. But I feel like pushing LPVO is a whole lot more than saying pushing rifle or something like that. Like when he was saying Mm -hmm. pushing the LPVO, um, that that was interesting that that was his choice of, I guess, the marker of that's him. Like I said, I don't know how this works, uh, but I thought that was interesting. And I think that's why everybody thought he was using it.
1: I think so, too. And I think the reason that was happening is um, you get this debate in the community about what is CQB is, it 25 and in, some people say it's 200 yards and in if it's 200 yards and then, and I've got an eight power scope, I'm going to win as far as accuracy. So I think his thought process and like, obviously I can't speak for him is uh, we're in a school long hallways. If I can get a magnified optic, I can get a better shot on a long hallway, you know? So like an active shooter at Walmart, I want magnification because there's 200 yard lanes in Walmart.
0: Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. Uh, And actually you said, I can't talk to him. I do believe that, didn't Donut and Brandon actually go and talk to those guys? I believe that they've got they might a video. Have. Um, they might
1: have, yeah. Um, I don't have the uh, sort of interview poll that guys like that do. Um, you know, we mostly just post information. I haven't done any interviews, so I never even tried to reach out. Um, but yeah. I mean, it would be interesting to get their perspective for sure.
0: Yeah, no, that that'll be. I I I, I think I do remember Brandon saying because <laughs> it was like it was pretty spicy when he like posted it. We were like, oh, that's. That's inter- That's going to be an interesting interview. Um, yeah. So, anyway, man. Uh, next one is your favorite book and why.
1: Uh, that's a tough one. Um, I read a lot, uh, and I some things that I read over and over again. So, if we're talking about favorite book, that's nonfiction, like influential book, probably the Book of Five Rings. Um, that's written by Miyamoto Musashi in like sixteen forty something, I think. He's a samurai. And uh, Japan actually calls him sort of like a historic figure for them. He's like their uh, the spirit of swordsmanship or the sword kinshi for the, the nation of Japan. But he wrote the book um, at like in like his fifties or sixties. He had killed something like sixty people in in single combat duels. Uh, and he was yeah he was a self taught swordsman. And um, essentially his book is about how to train effectively. So having read that probably thirty times now in the last eight years. A lot of the way OTG is modeled is modeled on his training module, like one of my favorite quotes by him, um, that uh, the master of strategy knows that there is no one way. So the idea is that if you get married to some sort of dogmatic doctrine, you're missing out on options that you're not aware of. So by studying all the options and figuring out what works in the moment, you're actually mastering the strategy versus just saying, oh, well, the one way that I know must be the best, which is why we teach the way we teach.
0: That's awesome. That's that uh so you said the the book of five rings. Mm-hmm. Let's see, I've got that written down. The master of strategy knows that there is no one way. Is that the yep. that the quote? That's awesome. Yep. That uh that sounds a lot like uh Jocko's detachment perspective. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of the same thing and and a much more eloquent of speak <laughs> than what you than what <laughs> yeah. you get from Jocko. Jocko's,
1: Jocko's a little Jocko's a little more ungabunga, but I like a lot of his works too. His uh He's a little more caveman style, but his stuff is very easy to digest. Um, my dad gave me, what is it, Extreme Ownership years ago, and uh, yeah. I read that one. That's a great one. But um, probably my second favorite to that is uh, Seven Pillars of Wisdom by T.E. Lawrence. It's the Lawrence of Arabia is how he's most commonly known, and that's a, like an 800-page book. But it's um, essentially the study of guerrilla warfare and the, and the Arab revolt against the Turks in World War One. It's interesting. really interesting.
0: Yeah. I think you, you did a a live on that earlier. This morning, you? yeah. 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 Yeah, I was I outside think you,
1: reading. Couldn't help it.
0: Yeah. I think you did it shirtless too, which was obviously mm-hmm. a strategy to try to get more people to show up. I, I hope it mm-hmm. worked.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, did. it did it got shared a little more you know um yeah it's, funny. we can talk more about the marketing strategies later like deadlifting <laughs> and kit you know
0: <laughs> yeah deadlifting uh, and kit or uh or yeah. the romanian deadlift being your uh being your favorite lift i'm sure that creates some marketing oh, assets dude. marketing oh, assets dude.
1: so assets yeah
0: Yep. Um. You're you're not by chance. Do you know the uh the the meme where the dude's like naked and kit with a war belt on, and it's like mm-hmm. from behind him. You know what I'm saying? That is that you? Is that you in the I meme? Get sent,
1: I get sent that, a lot. I get sent that <laughs> a lot. Like my wife sends it to me. She'll come home and I'll be dry firing in like just boxers or whatever else, but I have full kit on because I'm I'm in the house and I'm sweating, so like I don't need yeah. the clothing. I, the kid is going to get in the way whether there's a shirt there or not. So. She'll come home and I'd make this joke in classes. You know, I'll tell people when you go home, practice, do like me. Take your pants off, turn on Gilmore Girls and just start dry firing. And that's what I actually do.
0: (laughs) Gilmore Girls are the view. The view might be a little bit more satisfying. Um... Yeah,
1: well, I can't actually (laughs) shoot. So, you know, it's like dry fire. It's just,
0: we were this close. This close. For anyone, for any
1: federal agents listening, that was in Minecraft.
0: Yeah, in Minecraft. That was a joke uh so <laughs> um no i mean train how you fight because i'm damn sure not taking the time to put pants on if somebody comes in my house at 2 a.m in the morning That's so um, why would i put pants on when i can put plates in a in a war belt on uh but <laughs> anyway well, <so>. um <laughs> moving on uh jared what is your purpose
1: so i thought a lot about that because i know uh you, you gave me a little warning so i could pre-game it um so i want to approach that question from two angles. and I know you said that's over complicated. It, so it'll be two very simple angles. The first angle will be um, the finite perspective, right? So what's my purpose here on earth? What am I doing with my life? I find the most purpose and or the most personal fulfillment by uh, creating change and creating a shift in culture, creating a shift in mindset. Uh, teaching is one way to put that. But uh, I think my purpose is to um, push people to learn, push people to be better. And in that, I end up learning a lot and becoming better as well. So I think that's my that's purpose on one aspect, um, to facilitate learning, to, uh, to try to push the envelope, try to make people reevaluate and understand the actual why, to think deeply, be introspective and things like that. But um, the second facet to that, and it's what my dad has told me for years and I'm a I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't complicate it by making it um, about a denomination. So I don't I don't subscribe to like I'm not Methodist or Baptist or Catholic or anything like that. Um, I simply believe, and I think that our purpose as believers is to love God in all things. That's what we were created for. And so within that envelope of I believe in Jesus Christ and am saved by Him, I want to live my life in a way that honors Him. And within that fits the changing of culture, the shifting of perspective, and everything else. So it's sort of like two facets of the same concept.
0: Yeah, man, that's that, that's awesome. Uh, and you do that from what I have seen uh, pretty dang well. Um, so, you know, one of the reasons that I, I hit you up is because, well, number one, I followed you because, you know, you did that. Uh, I think the where I found you was uh, doing that training video with uh, Mike from Grand Thumb. So mm-hmm. I followed you from doing that. And then uh, the, the reason that I hit you up to to come on the podcast is I've seen multiple times, you know, it started out as a little bit of like it's a serious meme. But I think you're the guys that got Mike on the whole uh, repent, you know, repent, turn to Jesus, uh, the, yep. the kick. And so kind of started that that little meme train for a couple of weeks. And then y'all kept on with it. Uh, you know, we followed your Instagram and there's, you know, all the time little hints and little uh what do they call them? Easter eggs of you know, repenting and turning to Christ. And then uh, I've seen you do a live, I think, before where you talked about it a little bit heavier. And then finally, the the, the last, the straw that broke the camel's back, uh, not like it was a bad thing, but what made me eventually reach out to you is you posted that little kit Bible. And I mm. said, you know what, that is, that is really cool. And, uh, you know, I think that you're doing that really well. Number one, you teach CQB. Uh, I know you teach more than CQB, but you teach really well uh in your in your hard skill set the um tactical uh i guess i don't know tactics is what we'll call it uh you you teach that really well but also you have a really good way of throwing in um your values and your morals and there seems to be kind of a revolution that's that's a word that gets used way too often but uh there seems to be kind of a a shifting of the tides for gun culture to where People used to leave a lot of their like principles and politics and stuff out of it uh, to where now we're seeing this this cultural shift of, hey, uh, you know, if we don't protect our principles in other areas uh, like the culture, we're not going to be able to keep our guns. And it's guys like you, uh, guys like Mike, guys like Lucas at T-Rex Arms that are leading that cultural uh, that, are, that are leading that that cultural shift, I think. And so you fulfill that purpose pretty well from what I've seen, at least. So I do want to thank you for that.
1: I appreciate that. That's very encouraging because something I struggle with and my wife would tell you that I'm my own biggest critic uh, trying to, and, and you know that this goes for anybody who think, you know, thinks too much uh, or tries to be too introspective or whatever else. Um, I sound like I want a job interview right now. My greatest weakness <laughs> is that I care so much, um, <laughs> but I never really know if I'm actually doing that well, but then I I get these messages that absolutely break me. Like uh, two weeks ago, this guy messaged me and said um, that he had, you know, his heart had been hardened. He turned away from his time in the military and all this other kind of stuff. And then kind of like what you said, he's getting back into guns, getting back into training. He finds the page, reads some comment I had made about, um, you know, encouraging somebody and it got him back in the word. He went back to church and now he's renewed his faith and is back to, um, trying to rededicate his life and uh, that kind of thing. I'm like, wow, okay, it is working. You know, don't, don't be discouraged. Keep doing what you're doing, you know? Um, so I get those messages a lot too. And I will make it, I will make a caveat to that, that OTG, the company is mine, it is a um, sole proprietorship. But we have 10 or 11 people that work with OTG that are all subcontracted, right? So right. for me, Jared, the owner and my faith specifically, it's very easy to make that. But we do have people that work with us that are that are not believers and they don't subscribe to uh, that way of life. And obviously, we love and treasure them and work with them. So it doesn't. It to me, it's not that a, you know OTG is necessarily a um, directly like a Christian company or it has to be uh, sort of like a, a masked evangelical thing. So if, if for people listening, we have those people that are like, well, you know, I love everything I'll do except the Bible stuff. And the way I put it is like, Hey, that's who I am. And it's like you said, I, I can't separate who I am with like my principles and my values from what I'm doing every day and pursuing passionately. So the reason that OGG reflects that is because that's who I am and uh, I'm in charge of the marketing, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, yeah. but there's a lot of other guys and, and gals there that um, that are believers like Will and uh, Jason are uh, both strong men of faith and have been very influential um, in, in keeping me on the straight and narrow. Um, so it's been, it's really been a neat experience so far. I see God's hand in the whole thing, which is really the biggest Testament to me, the renewal of faith and all that. Um, That's awesome. and we, we can deep dive into how that all started if you want, or take it whichever direction you'd like.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that I did want to say is like, for those people that, oh, I like everything you do, but this, it's like, well, the only reason that you like everything I do is because of that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. where, where yeah. do you think I learned how to teach? You know, yeah. it, from from the preachers that I've watched growing up, or from the lessons that I learned in the Bible, like that, and and that's why I really like when people like you don't separate the business and the personal, uh, because they're never separated. What no matter how many people want you to think that they're separated, the personal and the political, or the personal and the business, they're they're always together. They will always be together, and that's what something unfortunately. On, on the freedom loving side of, of the aisle, you know, not to get political, but, um, <laughs> you know, on the more more right of center aisle, you know, side of the aisle, uh, we kick ourselves, we, we shoot ourselves in the foot every single time, because they are willing to make the, the, the political directly personal, or they're willing to make the business directly personal. They're willing to do that. We're never willing to do that. Like we're never, you know what I'm saying? We're like, Oh, we got to, you know, I'm just here. We're here to make some money and uh, I don't want to offend anybody from my business. So I'll keep my personal life hidden. I'm not going to talk about Jesus Christ at my business uh, because I might offend some people. And it's like, well, you're going to lose every time because those people are going to make the business personal and they will destroy your business for personal reasons. Um, Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I I learned that from my dad. He, uh, he was a executive at a large corporation making, a lot of six figures in the 90s and decided that he didn't like the way things were run and he didn't uh, his conscience wouldn't let him continue and so in 2004 he quit his job with three kids in private school and started a company because he believed that's what god had for him and now in uh let's see that was so not this april made 19 years next april will be 20 years but i mean it's a multi-million dollar company now that's awesome um, yeah and it's just i mean he he went and bought a trailer did all the manual labor himself. And uh, I started working for him when I was 10 years old, digging trenches. And um, he was open and shared whenever he was led to. And he never made it not a godly business because that was the point of starting it that way. And Mm -hmm. I think seeing that growing up and saying, hey, I I can keep the way that I treat people and the way that I do things framed in the way I was raised and what I believe and have that lead me to success instead of it being i have to hide this because it's not positive it's not socially accepted anymore and it's it's never not done well for me to just be who i am yeah um, well i'll take that back it's gotten me in a lot of trouble but i would happier that way <laughs> let's put <laughs> well, it that way
0: i'll i'll go ahead and i'll write trouble right here because we're going to get to that uh <laughs> you 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 brought it up so we'll, we'll table that for right. later about about the trouble uh but no i i want to you kind of started it uh you said that you started working for your dad at 10 i want to know how you got to be uh jared uh jared uh, is it arsenal is that right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes okay i want to i want to know how you got to be jared (laughs) arsenal of otg how you got to uh a point to where you can teach other people uh how to be extremely deadly um but start start at 10 years old how did you find your way to this point um give me that
1: So we were homeschooled. I was homeschooled first through fifth, and then I went to a very small Christian private school, and that was around the time that dad started his business. And um, so after school, he was working late or on weekends or whatever it was, we were helping him with that, and then on top of schooling. But during the homeschool period, we got to – my dad would wake me up around 4.30 or 5 when he got up for work. He would give us black coffee as, you know, like a five- or six-year-old. And he'd read the word to us, and then we'd start our homeschool. And mom would get up at like seven, so he'd been up for an hour or two. I would do pre-reading, go get her lesson plans, read stuff. And uh, so from the very, very young age, I was taught, like, the sun comes up, you're working, and you need to be working on something, Uh, whether that's reading the Bible or whatever whatever it is that you're reading for self-edification, and then you need to be working hard on something. But then when the work was done, which was usually around noon, mom would cook lunch, she'd read something fun to us, something nonfiction, or something fiction, rather, um, something entertaining. And then we'd play outside until dad came home. So I kind of grew up almost like it was the fifties and the sixties, you know, like play outside, mom cooked three square meals a day. Um, you know, dad would come home at six. We'd have family time in the afternoons and he went to bed at like seven thirty or eight, uh, yeah. when we were kids. So I, that, that's the foundational part of me is get up early, work hard and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you know we did bedroom inspection. My dad's a veteran, so he'd do a bedroom inspection, make sure everything was folded and tight, and our toys were all put up. And um, so that you know that's kind of where I started. And then through school, and then I went to a, a liberal, a very liberal, sort of like Woodstockish type of high school. Like no dress code, anything goes. Teachers did not give a like a flying shit. What happened? I mean, you could do literally whatever you wanted. Um, so I kind of got to go be free in like a like a microcosm of the world. And uh, Mm -hmm. that's where, you know, you get attacked for your beliefs and you just have to stand up for yourself. And, um, you know, in in a place where 15-year-old students are wearing fuzzy cat ears to school and bringing sex toys with them for show and tell, that's real. That's really happened. Um, (laughs) Yeah, to to show it to me because they (laughs) thought that it would bother me. And, you know, uh, one of these guys, um, somebody that had a lot of issues, um, he was raised by two – same-sex parents and just he didn't have a snowball's chance at, at being raised normally Um yep. and uh, it, the of,
0: homeschooling is what's messing them up <laughs> yeah
1: so he kind of latched he kind of latched on to me and was like you know I, the only reason i know this he wrote me a three-page letter at the uh, grad gave it to me at graduation and he said uh you're the only person who claimed to be a christian that ever treated me like, like a human being and i've changed the way that i think about christians because you just treated me normally i had boundaries you know, i didn't let him you know, he would come try to like rub my hair or like, you know, try to, you know, push the limit to get me to hit him or whatever else that he was used to. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just like, Hey man, look, don't touch me again. I'm praying for you. It is what it is. We ended up having lunch a lot together he'd sat at the same table as me at uh, study hall, which we had like, you know, free period where you could just do the rest of your school work, in your year. And, um. Ended up being, I guess, what you would call friends, you know, when I was cordial, and uh, he wrote me that letter at the end of it. So, throughout my young adult life, trying to live in a way that reflected the way I was raised, but not in not judgmental, not harsh, um, just like how you see us do in the comment section now, I get all kinds of people that are like, you know, Jesus was just a cactus, zombie Jesus, and all that kind of stuff, and I'm like, I'm praying for you, bro, I know you need help, it's not a big deal to me. Oh. Um, so that kind of that kind of carried me into the professional world. That whole time I'm working at my dad's company, went to LSU and graduated early in uh, international trade and finance, which I've yet to do anything with. Um, <laughs> but uh, other than maybe some of the business side, the marketing side of things. Um, but what that did tell me is that I did not want to be at a desk job. I originally wanted to do some sort of special agent work at some federal agency um, that was the high school dream of like I'm gonna be a cool FBI guy, and then as I got right. older, I learned what they're act- they're actually like. It was like this is lame. Um, you're not gonna get to kick any doors in at uh, at the FBI typically. So right. um, yeah, in college I started looking around after interviewing with some F- some FBI dudes and some state and local, and figured out that local SWAT was way more action than um, any sort of state or federal team. And as it just so happened, East Baton Rouge, which was uh, where LSU was located, had um, sort of like the the most well-respected team in the state, as it were. Uh, they're doing like, you know, 120 to 140 raids a year, um, good funding. At the time that I applied, they had a full-time element, uh, great equipment, you know, night vision, explosive breaching, all the cool stuff. And that's how that's what I wanted to get into, because um, my goal was to be a cop for 25 years and then start a training company. Um, obviously things started a lot sooner. So I got hired there, um, was there for just under six years. Um, uh, most of that on SWAT, I got into a few shootings, um, got a lot of really good training. I, I was the breaching team leader, taught breaching for the, the department and at the SWAT school, um, trained a few new guys, you know, I did some FTO stuff for the reserves program. So I kind of got good experience teaching while there and got a lot of operational experience Um, just for anyone listening that doesn't understand what that means you might have a a small part-time team the guy you know is a SWAT guy and uh, he might have done five or ten raids a year for 20 years so you know maybe he's got a couple hundred operations under his belt we're doing 120 to 140 a year on top of you know 50 60 training days a year and teaching the academy and everything else so we were very high tempo, um, but they took away the full-time element from that team because manpower was so low, and they couldn't afford to have those guys just you know sitting around waiting for something to happen when they could be out taking calls or doing whatever else. So I had dual duty, being a, a patrol supervisor. i was I ended my career there as a, a uniform patrol corporal. So I got to experience a lot of responsibility, um, got to experience the training side of things and kind of watch really good, you know, masters of their craft teach. But uh, let's see, that was 2020. Um, My wife was at the state headquarters. I was in the side seat she had driven. I was, it was an off day on nights rotation. I'd been going through a lot, um, super stressed out. That department doesn't pay overtime. So we were working 90 to hundred hour weeks, two weeks of days, two weeks of nights. And I wasn't getting paid for that. Um, it was just being banked as vacation time. So super stressful, underpaid, overworked, no sleep. Um, and, uh, I've been praying a lot about it. I wasn't happy. Didn't really want to stay there, but, um, didn't really have another option. And, uh, I'm sitting there in the car and my wife is at the state office going to uh, get, pick up her uh, medical license because she's in surgical PA and it was her final like licensure thing. She didn't have a job yet. Um, and I knew it in my spirit that I had to quit. It was not something I wanted to do. I didn't wake up that morning thinking it was going to happen. And it was just a, an overwhelming feeling of like, this is not for you anymore. It's time to go. And I think I had been suppressing that for a long time because of the status of being a SWAT guy and of feeling cool and, of, you know, I'm a supervisor and I'm the explosive breacher team leader and all this kind of stuff. My flesh said, you know, this is what you need. Um, keep doing this. And uh, finally, I heard that voice very clearly My wife had just gone into the state office and I called my captain. It was like, Hey, I need to turn in my stuff. I'm done. And uh, of course he was shocked by it. And um, anyway, long story short, it was there. Everybody was super supportive. I turned my stuff in three days later. I uh, was out of law enforcement and um, backtracking a little bit when I got that feeling in here, I called my dad. Uh, my dad's a, is a is a pastor and uh, as well as owning this business and was like, hey, um, I'm thinking I need to leave this line of work uh, for now. What you got? Do you have any openings at the company? Because, you know, I've worked there my whole life up until when I was a cop. And even then I stayed on the books helping here and there. But he was like, you know, what's funny. I just got off the phone with one of our older employees. She wants to retire so I can give you her route and it'll it right now it pays more than what you make working about half the time yeah and (laughs) he had just had that phone conversation with her and then i called him asking
0: because he was like what am i
1: going to do i'm going to have to hire somebody so yeah if you don't i guess some people would call that coincidence i see the hand of god in that so that was able to support me for about two years while i built otg part-time and then once otg got to the point that i could pull the salary from it um i made it full-time and i left uh and again Whenever I told dad, hey, I think I'm ready to leave. Can we start looking for somebody? A guy at their church's brother was moving to Baton Rouge and needed a job and was down on his luck. And they hired him. I trained him and I left. And there was never a gap in any of the service for any of the clients. So it was just one thing after another. God's timing. Um,
0: Crazy. Yeah,
1: it was pretty incredible. And then through OTG, um, really have found a lot of fulfillment. So how did OTG come about? Um well I I know that I only have so much experience. Um I started uh I went to the PD that my dad was a cop at for a long time. And uh I, I offered them training and they ended up commissioning me as a reserve training officer. Um so you know, I'm doing training for them on the side, I'm doing training for OTG kind of like, you know, once every couple of months, just kind of building the brand. And this is still, this is like late 2020, early 2021. <clears throat> when I start the OTG stuff. So get back into law enforcement, um, you know, riding with some new guys, kind of showing them the ropes, getting back into training and kind of reigniting that passion for things. Um, but there, there is one event that really started the OTG thing. And I don't know if you have follow-up questions or if I'm running on too long here. So you let me no, know if you're going to jump into that. Okay. So the, the real big catalyst for it and what kind of planted the seed of like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and it, it wasn't the intent to, I'll be clear on that. It wasn't the intent to start OTG when I left the sheriff's office. The intent was, there was no intent. It was, I feel like this is the right thing. I don't know what's coming next. I'm just trusting that this is the right thing, right? Yep. Um, we, we've all had those feelings before of like, I'm supposed to do this and I don't know why I have to trust. So in the midst of that, I'm working at my dad's company. I deleted all my old law enforcement social media. I had, had like a t-shirt company on the side. I had a pretty popular account that was all about SWAT stuff. I deleted all that. I was like, "That's not for me anymore. Um, I just had a small personal account, and there's a guy who is now one of my best friends in the world that I had followed for years. Uh, his original account was called The Boy from Illinois, and um, he posted shooting videos and just, like, little funny edits of stuff. Well, him and some of his dipshit friends made a video of a vehicle <laughs> assault, and it's it was, like, the worst vehicle assault I've ever seen um like if i had had students doing that at a, at a school i'd have been like you could all just go home um, <laughs> and so and i didn't know his background it's one of those things where like faces were blurred and like they're all wearing camo and i didn't really know what they were doing and i messaged him i was like hey bro i Operate. love right yeah i'm um, for operator <laughs> you know Cheems with the helmet and uh like, you guys you guys are cool <laughs> but um like what are you guys like was this for fun or He's like, oh, yeah, we're just screwing around. I was like, okay, because it was like absolutely terrible. And um, <laughs> I would uh, I would really hope you guys never to do that live. And he was like, okay, explain to me how to do it then. And to this day, he says he was being genuine. But I know that as a 21-year-old, he was like, screw you, guy. You come show me. So I was like, okay. And I sent him uh, like a five-minute video. I drew a car on paper, cut out little operators on a paper, and I did a walkthrough of how to do an actual vehicle assault and pointed out all the times where they had made little mistakes and stuff and how it could have been better. Not in a not in like a dickish way. It was just like, okay, yeah. I, I guess I'll take the time to show you if you want to know. And he was just blown away by it. And he was like, dude, would you come teach us? Would you come give us a private class? And I was like, yeah, if you pay my gas and uh, you know, somewhere for me to stay. And he's like, dude, we'll do it at my mom's house. You can crash in the basement. <laughs> so I drove 11 hours to Illinois to meet this stranger and his four or five friends, and he built a plywood shoot house in a barn that was not being used. And we did three, like 16 hour days of the most fun CQB I've ever done.
0: We that had was a awesome.
1: friggin' blast. Yeah, we had a blast. And uh, most of them there were believers, and they were like, hey, man, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You've got a passion for this. Never been to a class like this. We had a DOD counter terror guy, some army guys, a cop. You know, it's just like, oh, y'all really thought this was that good. Okay. I've only ever taught people that had to be there. So I really didn't know. Yeah. Um, you know, teaching cops at a professional course—they typically aren't excited. They're there because the department told them to be. Yeah. Um, and there, there might be one or two like people that still have that shine in their eyes, but um, you end up dead inside, like me, and you're just like, whatever. I'm just here because I'm being told to be. Um. So, anyway, that was a, that was an awakening for me of like, I can teach people in the private sector passionately, and it's well received. I can make a living doing this, and that's what started that really then I got on at the small apartment and then it just kind of just snowballed into, it became a full-time gig. And, um, first year in business, we did 13 classes, trained 138 people. Last year was the second year in business. We did, uh, like 32 classes. I think we trained 500 and some change. That's 500 awesome. people. Yeah. So this year I think we'll have had 55 classes on the books if we don't add anything else. I mean, it's just, it's just growing. Um, so it's been really, it's been an incredible experience so far. But that's kind of how I got to this point, I guess.
0: That is so, that is so cool, man. Uh, yeah, you went up to he said, "Let's do it at my mom's house." <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure you're. That's that's a long oh, yeah. eleven hour drive uh, to well, go up and meet an Instagram stranger at his mom's. I tell you house.
1: what, man, I just did it. Uh, his mom is the absolute salt of the earth. Such a, such a sweet lady. Um, I just left there actually earlier in the week. So that's cool. Uh, he, he now manages all of my media stuff for YouTube. So um, that's cool. He's a, he's a cop now, too. Just graduated the academy and uh, he runs all of our YouTube production. Um, and I just slept in that same chair in the same basement for the 10th time last week and uh, had an absolute blast, man. We filmed for 19 <laughs> hours. I drove up 11 hours up there. We had, he, Me and him and his girlfriend had dinner at a nice steakhouse. We well, storyboarded until like midnight, woke up at nine, filmed until two the next morning. Um, and then I drove home <laughs> on one that's hour cool. of sleep. <laughs>
0: oh wow. So, so
1: yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so it's a blast. He's a great dude. It's been a blast.
0: Yeah. No, I, I could just imagine like uh the the thought, like the first time going to meet him, like just that that that's I, that's crazy. I had no
1: idea, dude. I had no idea what it was gonna be like I was like, what am I getting myself into? I'm gonna get kidnapped, Yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah so
0: i want to there's a couple different ways that i can take that and my notebook is full unfortunately (laughs) uh i I do these small little write in the reins and they fill up so quick um so let's see i want to start with uh while i search for a decent place to write tell me what your dad does what what kind of business does your dad have sounds like something i might know a little bit about
1: um he does pest control and termite
0: treatment oh, okay so nothing you said digging trenches i was like well i know a lot about digging <laughs> trenches, but...
1: yeah no not not those kind of trenches um so his dad was big in the agricultural industry in louisiana and owns his own company and that's you know oftentimes we go the way of our father so dad knew about that when he got out of the air force and was doing that and was a cop part-time and this and that uh he made that his his main gig um and obviously he managed you know the the east coast and the southeast u.s for another much larger company that does that so he's um pretty prolific leader and is recognized in that industry as a leader he's on the state board for regulation of it's that kind of thing but uh probably yeah probably the coolest thing about my dad in that regard is that um they changed the rules because of him um some sort of like me uh, he likes to make waves so um as a college grad as, as a no one he had no college experience high school diploma uh air force veteran he decides he wants to be board certified as an entomologist and um typically people don't even apply for the board certification unless they have a phd yeah. because that's the amount of knowledge it takes to be able to pass this oral exam but um there's nowhere saying you have to be so yeah. he went and bought all the books and educated himself and then went and took it and passed the oral exam. So he is the only board certified entomologist in the country that does not have a doctorate. He taught that's himself. wild. Yeah. Yeah. So they went and changed the rules after that. So, you know, you have to have a PhD to apply because, you know, that's can't, can't, just, can't just have a guy with a high school diploma with a board certification. So
0: <clears throat> that's wild. Anyway. Yeah. That's, that's a uh, really cool. So a couple of different ways that I want to take that, um, you know, the, the biggest one, the first one that I'm going to write down here is taking the step. Um, you know, there's something about the people who do and the people who think uh, those different classes. Uh, it, it seems like tell me tell me the value. Tell me a little bit about where you got this. uh this mo because it is an mo to to do those things to to have the thought and to do it tell me a little bit about where you got that mo because i'm sitting here looking at it and you're sitting in your squad car or wherever you're at and uh you got this feeling of hey i need to go do something else and you trusted in that and you took that step that is something that not a lot of people would have done um and as a matter of fact the majority of people would not have done that uh you know i know you said you repressed it for a little bit but um a lot of people would have stayed in that career forever or until they made a bad shoot and got forced, <laughs> you know, out of, out of the career. Yep. Um, and then you said, Oh, this guy that I followed on Instagram a little bit, uh, he did this really wrong. He wants me to drive 11 hours and and go and teach him some CQB. Uh, I'm going to take that step. And then after that, you said, okay, maybe training is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to take that step. Tell me a little bit about, where you developed that. I'm going to take that step attitude, uh, you know, stepping into the unknown, I guess, as you could say it, if you wanted to get real, uh, real fancy with it, but tell me where you developed that attitude and tell me, uh, specifically if you think it's had any benefit for you or like, if there was another way to do it other than just taking that step, if, if you could have been a little bit more calculated where you should have been more calculated, walk me through that a little bit.
1: Okay. So several things come to mind. The first one is, um, not to keep ragging on my dad, but one of his famous quotes is a lot of famous quotes that we heard as children, successful people do what unsuccessful people won't do. Yep. So it's about, it's about doing. And, um, if you want to be successful at something, the first step is to freaking do it. So I live by that and I've always been that way.
0: Um, so can, can I add on that? And you may be please. going with this, but one thing that comes to mind with that. Is successful people do what unsuccessful people won't do. That's the quote, right? Um, that doesn't just mean the shitty jobs. That means this no. dreamed. That means this dream that you have. Uh, that they do you know. It. Yeah, they, they they go do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel like a lot of people think that that means, and it, and it does. I mean, successful people that own Port-a-John companies. Uh, they're successful because a lot of people won't own a on company, so it implies right. there as well. But it it also speaks to that that training company or the podcast that you want to do or the book that you want to write. It also applies there. So it just to caveat that quote. I and you may tell me I'm wrong, but you seem to be in agreement that it does mean the things. No, that, you're 100 correct. Um, yeah, your dreams. And uh, your goals,
1: Mus- so. Musashi talks about that in his book that we already referenced. He says um, he's talking about learning to wield the long sword with one hand. Because at the time in the 1600s, the, the the norm of the convention was to swing a katana with two. And he was basically like, don't be a bitch, swing it with one hand. And then if you have another <laughs> hand, you can swing two swords. So now you have two swords, you're going to beat the guy with one sword. And it, yeah. the quote is, swinging the halberd at first will be heavy and bending the bow will be difficult. But everything is difficult at first. And when your arm has become used to the bow, it'll become easy. So – Sure. It will be hard to quit your job and go start a business, just like it was hard to do anything like getting your first job and graduating college. And Life is about things being hard and you pushing through it and then reaping those rewards. Um, And I think that that, that simple mantra of, if I want to be successful, I need to do the thing that most people would say, I don't want to take that risk. There's a caveat to that. That doesn't mean go jump off a bridge because most people would do it. Um, There is a certain level of evaluating criteria but um, the flip side is you don't want to get analysis paralysis and say, well, I'm going to make this much money. and I'm going to do this. Be willing to eat Pop-Tarts and ramen noodles for a few years and make it happen. And, you know, there, there's people that will not do that and they maybe don't live out their dreams. Um, another caveat to that is not everyone's supposed to live out their dreams because then there wouldn't be anybody to do the rest of the work. As bad as that sounds, you know, but people are not designed to all go take the plunge otherwise it wouldn't be this thing that we have people paying thousands of dollars to hear a lecture on how to take the plunge it's a rare thing ultimately um but it's not impossible And i think that it people benefit from hearing that because even if it's something small like i need to lose 30 pounds well the first step is today don't eat as much done yeah take the first step that's it that's all it takes is you making a choice and then apply less. it in...
0: oh sorry i was gonna say that's it eat- no. Eat less ramen and pop tarts while you're building your business. Yes, <laughs> while, you're business,
1: while you're building your business, eat less calories. um Yeah, so I think that that's that's probably the easiest way to explain is just that philosophy of if I don't do it, it won't happen.
0: Yeah. So uh, yeah, and that that's coupled with uh, you know for me. You know, my my dad was it was never even a thought of, oh, yeah, you've got this idea that you want to try. We're going to go do it. It was never like I never even had to think about it just because I watched it be so natural for him. But it mm-hmm. was also the confidence that you could do it. You know what I'm saying? Like the confidence of, hey, he always told me I could do anything that I ever wanted to do. Um, I mean, he he would legitimately tell me and I, and I think he still believes it, that if if I wanted to be president, I could like he would mm-hmm. legitimately tell me that. You know, in like third grade, he's like, if you want to be president of the United States, I, I know he's like he would tell me, I don't know anybody that's a better fit. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. in, in third grade. And, and you know, he didn't overhype me too much. He still kept me, you know, low to the ground and made me do the work. And he always said, you can only do this if you do the work, but uh, you can yep. do anything you want to do. And I feel like a lot of people uh, don't have that and, and have never had that. What do you think? They
1: they get it half assed. They get it. Uh, you can be anything you want because you deserve it not because you have to work hard and yeah. that it's not to sound like I'm 75 years old, but like this generation, <laughs> now, you know, but the people that I'm seeing um, in the, in the modern uh, workforce, <clears throat> don't understand, you know, like my dad growing up worked a field and ate boiled eggs and saltine crackers and black coffee for the first 18 years of his life, you know, and you yeah. uh, wouldn't, wouldn't get paid for it. They owned a farm. And if they didn't work, they didn't eat, you know, and that's it. That was his that's- life.
0: That sounds like high cotton in Louisiana, though. I mean, that sounds like. A...
1: <laughs> so, yeah, <clears throat> you're not wrong, but I mean, it's so he took that and instilled it in us, but in a different way, because, you know, there's this there's this whole like, I don't want my kids to have it as hard as me. And then the kids turn out softer than you, you know, yeah. So then you're like, why are you soft? And like, well, you said you didn't want me to struggle. So we were given a really good balance of like, hey, if you want this, you got to work for it. Uh, we didn't get huge. They took really good care of us, but we didn't get like, I didn't get $2,000 Christmas presents. Like some kids I know, I got yeah. whatever one thing and some trinkets, you know, and I had to pick it and then everything else I worked for a wage. I mean, when I was digging trenches at 10 years old, I got paid $3 an hour and a hamburger. And, uh, that's how I bought my first paintball gun. And that's what got me into the tactical stuff and, and having fun working angles and team leadership. And, you know, I mean, it My like I said, my childhood was like something from 30 or 40 years before um in in the way that it was instilled in us to
0: work that makes sense and and you know my dad he he always he said that he wanted us he he had a pretty decent life you know what i'm saying he you know his parents worked really really hard and they weren't ever rich like um they were firmly middle class maybe even like uh, low cost of living middle-class. Let me put it that way. They lived in a place where it didn't cost very much to live. Um, you know, they were involved in some of the oil boom in Texas and stuff like that. So, um, his dad always seemed to have like a decent job and to be able to provide, but he didn't have this lavish life. And he would tell us that he wanted us to have a better life than what he did. But the main thing that he always told us is that he wanted us to do better than what he did. And so like, right. That was like a, Hey, I'm going to give you these things, but it came with the expectation of, you're going to take the starting point that I give you and you're going to go do better with it. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sure that was kind of um, yep. the same sentiment in your, sounds like we have that in common at least. So.
1: Very much so. Yeah. My dad was very poor. Um, like I said, he got a high school education. His dad said when he got on the bus to go to air force basic training, it was the happiest day of his life. He did have to feed him anymore. Um, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, it was, he wasn't raised uh, in a super loving environment. His siblings all hated each other. You know, I mean, he, he got saved the night that he graduated high school and then signed up for the air force. Um, and that's what that's what turned his life around. He's very much a, um, an example of Christ actually changing someone for the better and not just the like, Oh yeah, I accepted Jesus. That means I can go do whatever I want. Now he did a one hundred and eighty from who he was in high school. Um, not a like, not a well-liked person, not a, not somebody who behaved in any sort of moral way, uh, toward friends and neighbors, but, changed, turned everything around and then lived his life according to those things and then raised us in that way with the positives that he did get from his childhood, which was work hard for the things you want. So I think awesome. that or I got very fortunate. I'm very fortunate to have that, that experience uh, to have parents like that because they could have turned that generational trauma on us and we would just turned out, you know, effed up like they were too. So,
0: yeah, uh,
1: but here we are. So
0: yeah, no, I know. I, I agree with you i'm 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 one of those uh fortunate fortunate people that comes from a uh i guess a decent a decent line of people and you know where 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 it wasn't decent uh they corrected it kind of like what you said so right. um man let's talk a little bit about uh recalculating and, and kind of finding a different path you know uh one thing that kind of strikes me is that uh, just to give you a little bit of, of, of like a tiny bit of background on me before I had the podcast, I had actually started uh, a little kind of it's it's nothing compared to what you do, but a a, a concealed carry training type company. So uh, where the main goal was to help people that had no clue um, figure out the best way to conceal carry, you know, I want people to carry a gun. And so my goal was to uh, to help people, especially women, like figure out, hey, like nobody knows that they don't know what type of holsters are out there. Like they don't know that there's LAS or T-Rex or tier one, or, you know, they right. don't know the best carry guns. They don't know um, all of these different things. And so, but they want to carry a gun, especially in my part of the, you know, I'm sure, I mean, you're in Louisiana, it's the same damn thing, but um, yeah. it, you know, in Amarillo, it's like, there's a good chance that, <laughs> you know, 70% of people have a gun on them uh, or at least there's yeah. one in the car. Well, when you get back, let me know. But, Uh, or when you, when you come back, let me know. But um, they actually, uh, so I'd started that, but it it became, it it was out of a passion. It was this thing that I, you know, we talked about taking that step. Um, I said, oh, I need to take this step. But then it it just, it became very clear that without any sort of like background or training in that, or actually doing, you know, any sort of, of firearms, Centered profession, uh, and I know you don't have to do that, but as far as being a trainer and training other people, it just wasn't going to be wasn't going to be right for me, and it wasn't going to be uh, this the the type of success that I want out of out of my passion. You know what I'm saying? I want I want mm-hmm. to build something like an empire, and it, it just became very clear that it wasn't going to be like that. And so I had to recalculate, and I had to 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 make a move. Um, it sounds like you've done that a couple times uh, now tell me a little bit about recalculating and, you know, to that point as well, uh, there's another aspect of that, of of the experience. You know, you said you have six years of, of the SWAT experience. It sounds like you had a a higher op tempo uh, is I think the word that you used, Um, Mm -hmm. but it sounded like you didn't have as much experience as you either a wanted or B thought that you needed uh, before you started your training company. So tell me a little bit about that because I, I, I don't believe that, you know, I don't believe that, you know, lifelong seals that retired are the only people that can teach tactics. I don't believe that they're the only people that can teach weapons handling. Um, you know, Lucas, a T-Rex arms shoots circles around, you know, 90% of, of any army or LEO. So tell me a little bit, number one about recalculating. So that's going to be the first one. And then number two, um, you know, experience required to, to do a certain thing. Is it okay to take that jump before you feel like you're quite ready?
1: Okay, that's a great question. So on recalculating, number one, um, I think that in my experience, a lot of it has come from uh, introspection and trying to realize potential. So when I'm re- when I'm recalculating, it's not numbers, it's not income. Um, it's am I doing what I need to be doing? And that kind of goes back to the the podcast itself. You know, you're talking about purpose, right? Well, I said at the beginning, my purpose was to to push people to shift things, to create improvement, to sort of be that um, catalyst, catalyst for some sort of yeah, some sort of change. I'm not doing that in pest control. You know what I'm saying? I'm like except for the uh, <laughs> except for the occasional time you get to witness to somebody or whatever else, but um, you're not you're providing a service that people call you for because they don't want bugs in their house. You know what I mean? Um, yep. In law enforcement, you're not doing that either. Um, as as bad as that sounds, unless you're in a administrative position you're not the person making change uh as a patrol guy or even like a sergeant down um you're not the person that is making real change I, unless unless it's that one out of a hundred calls where you can really help somebody and that's not even making change for the business and the industry that you're in Because make no mistake law enforcement is a business they're You're not really changing that, you're changing an individual, which is just like in pest control when you go to a customer's house and you get that feeling of, hey, offer to pray for this person. Okay, cool. But there's something missing from what I needed to be doing. So for me, the calculation was, and maybe I'm just slow, but after a few years of going, you know, I could do this forever. It's not hard, but do I I don't feel that this is what I want to be doing. And it may be what I want to be doing, but I'm not doing it to the potential that would really satisfy my purpose. Uh, and that goes back to I love being a SWAT guy. There is no better feeling than at two in the morning blowing a door off of tins with your boys, crushing the the opposition or whatever you want to call it, and getting you know going to Waffle House as the joke goes. <laughs> uh, you know you you get to do something that nobody else in America gets to do. You get to operate much like a military team. Um, with a high level of proficiency and there's a lot of risk which as a you know a 25 year old or whatever risk feels amazing um so (laughs) all those things yeah and yeah as long as you go home so all those things are great but was it really my purpose and that itching kind of feeling inside of like yeah i could be doing a lot more but this feels like everything i ever wanted you know so being able to actually evaluate your internal motivations is part of that calculation um, Marcus Aurelius says your soul takes on the color of your thoughts and my mama said growing up your feelings follow your thoughts now she would never read Marcus Aurelius but she's a very smart lady um, I think that what we focus on wanting is what we end up becoming but if we're focusing on wanting something that isn't what we're supposed to be we end up sort of splitting and trying to calculate am I splitting or am I true to this what I'm supposed to be doing is really hard for people and it, mm-hmm. uh, it takes, it takes true introspection and trying to actually figure that out. And I've had some, <clears throat> some soul searching times, you know, um, the kind of thing where your family's like, are you good? Like something's on your brain. And you're like, oh, I'm fine. And you're like that for like two years because yeah. um, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to figure out who you are and what you're meant to do. And, you know, um, so especially in the midst of something stressful like law enforcement. So, yeah, I think on calculating and recalculating what you're what you're trying to do versus what you're wanting to do and making all those things line up um i don't have any answers uh per se but what has been successful for me is trying to listen for that note that it's almost like um it's almost like a chord that's being played you know what i mean you're you're hearing the note and you're trying to ignore it but it's that background rhythm of like i know this is what i'm supposed to be doing and you're trying to suppress it uh, typically, you know what you're supposed to be doing um, and you just choose to not do it.
0: Yeah. And so, what I, so I, I know I asked the experience question, and I don't think that's nearly mm-hmm. as important as what we're going to do now. So, trash that. Uh, Cause that <laughs> was, that was, I think I was asking you to, so that you would make me feel better about starting a gun company when I had no business doing it. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I, can,
1: think I can, I can weigh in on that in about five seconds. Uh, you have to hire people that know more than you and then learn from them so everybody at the company has at least twice as much experience as i do or an incredible pedigree and our their curriculum that we teach comes from them i'm really good at teaching i'm charismatic uh, i can have a conversation with a rock and make it laugh you know i mean i'm good at i am good at talking to people and relating information but my skill set that's what my skill set is it's the business side it's the marketing it's the talking so hiring people that have the, the background greater than mine assimilating all that into a cohesive curriculum was the key I think if you wanted to start a gun company, you just need to hire people that had more experience than you. And then you learn from them.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but what I want to talk about now, uh, is the itch. That's what I wrote down here on my notepad Mm -hmm. is the itch. And this is something that I've been trying to, uh, get, get to the heart of the matter, uh, as they say, um, on the purpose podcast is that itch because I know when I had it, uh, because of because of my tendency to take that step, I didn't really have it long enough to to analyze it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, I, I know, I know that I had it. So hopefully, you know, maybe we can kind of put our heads together and describe that itch mm-hmm. for some people. But when you're talking about, you know, what do you really want to do? Um, what I've always found, uh, you know, when, when I when I see an opportunity come up, or I see something uh, that maybe what I want to do, or that maybe fulfills my purpose a little bit more than what I'm doing right now. Um, one way that I think that, it, that I realize that that's in line with my purpose is I can't stop thinking about it 30 years from now. Um, so that's number one. Number two was, and it sounds like you've, you've done a lot of uh, hard nights at work and stuff like that. But for me, it was always those thoughts that I thought about when I was laying down in bed, because, you know, you, you get real idealistic when you're laying down in bed. Uh, when there's no consequences to your thoughts like there is in the daytime uh, you get real idealistic and it may be that argument you know we, we all know that where you're laying down in bed and you're like I should have said this 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 and this you know what I'm saying shower thoughts oh, yeah. yeah shower thoughts but there's also those times where it's like man it would be so cool if I just like wrote a book or it would be so cool if I went <laughs> you know what I'm saying like yeah you I just you have those weeks ago. <laughs> that's awesome yes. dude that's awesome <laughs> But
1: um, yeah, uh, man, that's classifying the itch, right? Um, yeah. So I watch, I listen to some podcasts and for better or worse, I watch a lot of these like alpha motivation videos. And a lot of them are so awful. It's like a dude in a suit with like a $700 haircut. And he's like, yeah. sleep with as many women as you can. Buy all the cool cars because blah, 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 blah. But once some of the things that they say, there is a ring of truth to them. And mm-hmm. something I picked up from one of these douchebags the other day was um, the itch is what you're passionate about when someone says, well, what, you know, what is passion? What does that even look like? What you're passionate about is what keeps you up at night, what you constantly think about when something else that's important is happening. When you're mm-hmm. at work and you're thinking about something else, this is what feeds your family. This is what pays your bills. And this is what you signed a contract to be doing, But you're thinking about this. The FBI will call that a clue. Um, either you're stupid you know, because you're thinking your head's in the clouds or that thing is really important to you and it could be something that you have purpose in. That doesn't mean it has to be your job. That's something that I should we should clarify. You can have the itch to do something and it not be the way that you make money. For example, my dad is passionate about mission work. He goes overseas you know, I can't even tell you how many times he was overseas when we were kids doing mission work because he worked really hard and made a ton of money doing pest control and he spent it all in his passion which was Going overseas to non permissive environments and spreading the gospel. So that was where he spent his passion, right? Um, So you could be passionate about something. I'm sure he was spraying termites and thinking about going back to whatever country he wasn't supposed to be in, you know? But um, for me, being somewhere else and thinking about um, I could be doing so and so to make change, I could be, you know, nobody wants to. This this clear and obvious answer to improve our safety and our efficiency, and nobody wants to do it, and yep. that would drive me insane. And my itch was to create positive change. I cannot stand. I'm trying not to curse as much as I normally do. I cannot stand. You
0: can't. You're cool. Dude. <laughs> um,
1: I think I think all I'm at eight years now total in law enforcement, and just that community is so filthy mouthed. Um, yeah, my mama's going. She listens to the YouTube and podcasts, and it's always like. Yeah, you didn't know, you used to say those words, you know. But um anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's whatever you're comfortable with, man. I uh, uh I I I'm ambivalent about it because I don't think that those words uh carry the weight. This is a completely different conversation, not to derail you, but we're here. <laughs> Adult um, ADHD, I don't th-
1: bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I don't I don't think that those words those words only carry as much weight as what you give them. And so I feel like a lot mm-hmm. of people they get super offended by it, you know, especially some of the more christian people that that think that it makes you a bad person to say those things i think it's a little bit ridiculous uh because they're just words and they're only they're only as good as the context and the weight that you're giving them but anyway all of that to say is that yeah um uh, go ahead
1: i can't fucking stand when people um (laughs) have a clear answer in front of them and they're so obsessed with a doctrine or a dogma that they can't improve and that is my passion is hey why are you doing that I don't understand it. Explain it to me. You can't explain it. It's just the way you've always done it. Well, I see a better way to do it here. Let's try that. And then they say, no, yeah. <laughs> like, what is happening? So that that's what keeps me up at night is not analyzing yeah. other people and trying to fix their problems. But if there's a better way to do things, we should be doing it. Why are we not doing it? The only thing stopping us from being better is us. And through this training company, I can help with that. But where I was at in law enforcement, As a full-time guy, I didn't have that position or ability, but the same problems were existing. So now I can come in as an outside person and say, oh, you've paid me $10,000 to be here. Here's how to be better. And it's all things people could have thought of for about 10 minutes and done themselves, typically. Um, But they need to hear it from someone else, and I'm very happy to be that guy. Uh, But I didn't – and this is the thing, to go back to the itch. I didn't have the itch when I left the sheriff's office to go be a training guy. I thought – that that was not going to happen because I didn't have 25 years of experience, Mm -hmm. you know? So I had the, I had the itch to improve the world that I was in and I didn't see it being possible. And then I had this inkling to leave and it was not my idea to start a training company. And then this kid on Instagram and I go train him and then they tell me, Hey, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is incredible. And then one thing falls into place. And now I have this group of like 12 guys and, and, and ladies that know way more than I do about their field that was not, it's not like I had an itch and I pursued it to that point. It was a series of um, really fortunate things that were all motivated by. uh, I think I can, I think I can make this work. And then the pieces fell into place. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I I do. And, and, you know, when I talk about the itch, uh, maybe the itch. um, So when we say the itch, a lot of people think of that as like the, like you said, I didn't have the itch to go be a training to go, to go be a training guy. Uh, but you had an itch to do something different. And I think there is my, my hypothesis is that, um, when people are not fulfilling their purpose, they have this general discomfort in their life. Um, oh, absolutely. And, and and that's what I'm calling is the itch. It's, it's not a, a wild hair up your ass or, or like, Oh, I have the itch to go do something. It's this, this rash that you have this, this psychological and spiritual rash that you have, uh, that plagues you on a daily basis, you know, like, and, and for me, uh, I don't want to talk too much about my story, but I was very overweight, uh, still am quite a bit overweight, but we're, we're moving in the right direction. Um, I've lost about 60 pounds in the past year and Woo, you dude, be, was, dude, I'm, I'm working on another probably 50. So uh, by the end of it, I'm, I'm hoping to be at 110 pounds and I, and I appreciate that. Uh, that awesome. but there was, I thought I was happy. Um, You know what I'm saying? Like, I thought I was happy. I thought I felt good. I thought I was fulfilling my purpose. I've always done things really, really early. Like I've always, you said you graduated from LSU early. Um, I, you know, I graduated college semi early. Like I thought I was doing those things, but there was just this general discomfort and I never knew what it was until it was so obvious to me, but I always had that general discomfort. And the more that I talk to my buddies and stuff that I don't think they're fulfilling their purpose. It seems like they have that general, just discomfort um with their life and, and i think it gets sold as anxiety i think it gets sold as depression um, that's exactly
1: what i was gonna say yeah, yeah
0: and, and and i think those are good words for it you know what i'm saying but the answer absolutely. is not absolutely the answer is not pills it's purpose to to me um mm, and so but
1: not on a t-shirt
0: <laughs> yeah yeah uh not pills purpose uh, but especially you know for men and women but we're here to talk to men uh especially for men you know i think that that for women I don't know that purpose is any less important, but I know it's extremely important for men. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah,
1: I would say purpose is outside of gender or or biological sex or whatever term we want to use. Purpose is key. Um, but for the purpose of, you know, not to use the word too many times, our purpose right now is to speak to men about purpose. And yeah. that is who we are. So I'm happy to keep that germane. I would say that you're 100% correct. The itch is just a, it's a feeling that I'm not doing what I could be doing. And I talked about this on the Redacted podcast with Forrest. Um, you and him should get together. He would, You guys would have an absolute blast. Um, it's Redacted LLC. Uh, on YouTube, it's called Redacted Culture Cast. Okay. And uh, he's a former ranger, and uh, he's, a, he's got his degree in philosophy and um, is a very oh, cerebral wow. individual. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, so we were talking about the same thing.
0: More Knowing cerebral his- than than you
1: (laughs) far more far more Um, wow i feel i feel very small intellectually next to Forrest, which is why i like being on his show because i learned something you know what i mean um yeah so great guy but uh and also a believer so he can approach things from multiple angles um so all that to say one of the things that he was talking about is rites of passage um in every culture that has ever existed up until now young men have had a right of passage and it's something mm-hmm. critical to us is to feel that we've made it and in a culture where violence is not allowed um co- you know competition is not allowed outside of very regulated sports and even in those sports everyone gets a trophy etc cetera, etc cetera, we don't have a right of passage that makes us feel like we've made it and as Forrest said in the podcast for him, it was becoming a ranger. That was his rite of passage. He became a ranger and he was very underwhelmed. He was like, okay, now what? It wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. I put it yep. on such a pedestal. You know, I'm going to be the baddest mofo on the planet. And now I just feel like a regular guy. What's going on? Um, it was a similar sort of like, uh, not to say disappointment, but once itch. I came to terms of, yeah, yeah, it's a similar sort of itch, right? It, it's a, and I had the same problem. I have, I'm a team leader on SWAT. I'm a uniform patrol supervisor. I'm training all the people. Um, you know, my captain is letting me run a whole substation, two ranks below where that's supposed to happen. Cause he trusts me that much with that much authority and blah, 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 blah. All of the worldly trappings of like, you have. you've made it, you're going to be the guy, you're the golden boy. And inside I was like, but I'm not doing what I feel like I should be doing. What, what else is there? Right. And I think that people are experiencing that at every level. And they, especially when they haven't even had that rite of passage, you know, passing SWAT selection, getting on the team, and then uh, passing maritime selection, which is another level of difficulty uh, for the maritime portion of SWAT, and and then going to all the schools and becoming an instructor and all that stuff, right of passage after rite of passage. Um, I the first shooting I was involved in was four days after I started FTO, so I, like my fourth day on the job, it was like a twenty-one-year-old, you know, getting into a shooting six months to the day later get into another shooting it's just like you know i pass all these things all these big milestones and i'm still left with like this isn't all there is so i think that the itch is something that is present in every man regardless of how many times they pass that right and it's probably been that way since the jump um we can see that biblically there's all sorts of figures that have have made it per se and they still continue to pursue something greater um Sometimes to their downfall, because again, it comes back to we have this problem in our culture. Listen to your heart, right? Um, not yeah. necessarily. You have to be careful um, about that. If we only ever do the things that we want to do, or my heart told me, uh, we end up doing too much or doing the wrong thing. So, right. I think that balancing that balancing that itch with truly understanding what your purpose is again comes from introspection understanding what you're actually good at and what you actually are uh, what what are the consistencies in your life where do you perform and things like that as a kid i was we would go to the the park where i grew up I had this huge park with all these little jungle gyms and stuff it was like two three square miles and um we would go there i was maybe like seven or eight and i would go find all the other kids that were playing and rally them together and give everybody sticks and pine cones, and we would make an army, and we'd go assault the fort. Nobody taught me that. You know, I watched a John Wayne movie and was like, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to lead people. I'm going to make something. And that was what I always was like as a kid. And it translated to the sheriff's office, and it translated into forming this business. I went and found all the cool kids. Hey, here's a bunch of sticks and pine cones. Let's, Let's go make some change. And so that's the itch I've always had. And in the jobs where I wasn't being able to do it, I ended up, as you said, kind of recalculating and making that change. Um, But I don't, I don't know how to teach someone to do that per se, other than to encourage them to look inward.
0: Yeah. And I I agree with you. And and a lot of times it's the things that you get told, you know, just to to, to relate with you, the the podcast is not about me, but to to relate with you on that. um, I I feel like the podcast is uh, an exercise in in my purpose. And I think Mm -hmm. the reason that I came to that conclusion is because, Um, whenever I get told or whenever I'm in a position, like you said, the rite of passage, uh, I achieved high level positions at a very young age, you know, like, um, getting to work for the amount of money that I did, uh, which I spent all of it, which sucks, but, um, you know, getting, getting (laughs) to work for the, the amount of money that I make at my age, you know, I, I started with a salary job at 40 hours a week, um, making, you know, upwards of $60,000 a year at 20 years old. Um, that's pretty unheard of. And so getting to that point, uh, I've, I've never felt, how do I put this? When I was not allowed to ask questions, I still had that itch. And what did I get told all of my life is, man, you ask really good questions. Uh, when I get the opportunity to ask good questions, that's, you know, that's what people comment on me. They, They never really comment on my solutions. Uh, they, they only comment on the solutions that come from me asking good questions. You know know what I'm saying? Like I do have good solutions, but it it comes from the questions that I asked. And so that's why, you know, sitting down to the podcast. I actually read, uh, I believe that your your Marcus Aurelius quote, did that come from meditations? Uh, so I actually read meditations and this was kind of, I'd already started the podcast, but this was just a reinforcement for, Hey, you're fulfilling your purpose was when, uh, I believe, I don't know, I I would be lying if I try to quote which book it's in, but he says that the, uh, the value is found in the questions, not the answers. And I, I'm not a very good quotes guy, so I probably butchered it. But that's what I took from it was that the the that's value is found. It. Yeah, the value is found from the questions, not the answers. And so that's that was like okay, okay, okay. Uh, you know, sign taken, hint taken. Um, I'm supposed to ask questions. And so like just just to relate with you on that front, I, I completely agree with you that it's it's that thing that you're good at that people tell you that you're good at uh and i never question i never have that itch when i'm asking questions you know what i'm saying like i never have yep. that discomfort uh when it's my job to ask questions when people call on me in a room to ask a question they say hey Haas, do you have any questions that's where i flourish you know what i'm saying that's where i love to be uh and so i i just want to concur with you on that of, of um having that feeling and it's what you've always been good at it's what you've always been called to do um man i I, I can't agree more. You're singing the song of my people. So, um, <laughs> uh, and that right.
1: goes back to the whole introspection thing. What is that? It's asking questions of yourself. Yeah. Um, so for you, the thing that people tell you you're good at is asking questions, which is a really funny kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, yeah. um, for most, for a lot of people, did you know that, uh, over 50% of people do not have an internal monologue? They don't hear words in their head.
0: I don't believe that. I don't, I mean, I know it's probably How's true, possible? but how is I that possible? Right. I so, argue is mine.
1: Yeah, I, I, I well, <laughs> I mean, as a, as a, not to, you know, I hope my psychiatrist isn't listening to this, but you know, the voices are always there, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am, I am hearing my own thoughts and conversating with myself. Apparently, that's only about half of people. The other half of people just
0: that is exist. wild.
1: Yeah. So, if you're that person who says, "Well, I don't have audible thoughts," okay, try it out. I want you to actually. Think out loud in your head. You know, let's just say to the person listening, his name is John. Hey, John, what do I really care? What do I really care about? What do I really want to be doing? Um, I, I don't know, John. Okay, what have what people always told me I'm good at? And then start talking to yourself and you will be happier, I promise you. Well, it might hurt for a little bit. It might hurt yeah. for a little bit because then you have to start answering the yeah. questions. Um, you know, and I know a lot of people that they have no idea what they want to do. And they're I wonder... just at a dead-end job, you know?
0: I wonder if an internal monologue could be a better marker for success than IQ. Um, I, I want to know you if know, that's a thing.
1: Yeah. That's a good question.
0: Um, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, because that like, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how people <laughs> do it other than that. Like, how do you vet what you're about to say? Like, how do you,
1: that's what I'm saying. So like, for example, when I'm teaching, and I have a lesson plan, right? Obviously to teach, you need to have a lesson plan, but it's very organic. We try to play what we're teaching off of how the students are doing. So we have sort of a playbook, but it's yeah. very fluid. It's almost like an algorithm. And there'll be, I'll be opening my mouth to say the next thing. And there, and I've got, I can picture it in my head. I can picture the words I'm going to say. Yeah. And the student is like, Hey, what about so-and-so? And I'm like, I was literally about to say that I could hear the words in my head, you know, cause yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it out loud in my head before I say it out of my mouth, but there are people who don't have that function. Wild. So yeah. So I have to wonder um, how introspective are they, if at all. And if they are, what does it sound like? Cause for me, I literally hear it. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's, that's wild. Very interesting. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah we need I to mean... get Andrew Huberman on the, on the phone. And we need to say, Hey, look, <laughs> <laughs> do the do that test of of like markers of success for internal monologue is if, if, if that is that yeah. i wonder how i wonder how many people are studying that because if it's something that you can help people develop that that seems to be like number one of things that you need to have to be to be successful is to be able to talk with yourself and maybe they do it in a different way but i don't know how like That's i have no clue wondering. how yeah
1: well i have i have a friend who was born three months premature um so he's born at six months and yeah. uh, dude's an absolute wizard. Will, he will totally bomb a standardized test. He cannot correlate multiple choice questions. His brain <laughs> sees multiple choice. and just goes blah. But he is the, he's the lead animator for Microsoft on all the Halo games and everything That's else. Wild. I mean, dude is an absolute... Again, people told him, hey, animation, you're not going to be successful. just never make any money, blah, blah, blah. So he worked some summer jobs, paid for himself to go through animation mentor school, taught himself to animate. Um submitted demo reels, me and my me and orion concepts, my 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 brother Garrett. um, I don't know if you follow the other account, but
0: I don't he and I, I
1: he and I we we modeled as Spartans and ran around in the backyard and he filmed us. and then he went back and animated it as a halo demo reel. and got hired for Halo four with that. Um, That's wild. just because he yeah, because he was that creative of a guy. So but where I'm going with that is his brain doesn't work like ours. When he hears music, he sees colors. Because the pathways in his brain, the neurons didn't split the way that ours do. Yeah. So you know you have a you know you have the ner- the nerves that go to your ears, you have the nerves that go to your eyes, you have the nerves that go to different parts of your brain. A lot of his wires are crossed, now, and that's not a bad thing. You know, he hears certain chords, he sees the color yellow. You know, so he experiences music in a way that you and I couldn't even picture. But there are people that, you know, that's how their brain works, and they can't describe it. So it makes me really curious um, how somebody's brain works. that doesn't have a dialogue, you know, because I
0: yeah. talk. That's, that's, you know? that's crazy. Um, well, and that brings to mind, as far as the guy being an animator, uh, successful people do what unsuccessful people won't do. Um, that's a good quote. So anyway, man, I, I, we're, we're at seven twenty. Uh, You don't, you don't sound like you're too pressed for time. Do you mind if I ask a couple more <laughs> questions?
1: No, please go ahead.
0: Um, I want to get to, to kind of the personal side. We, we talked about, you know, a lot of your, your, your personal philosophy, but let's talk a little bit about family. Um, tell me, just give me a rundown. I believe that, that strong men are backed by, by strong women. Uh, give me a rundown mm-hmm. of how you met your wife. Uh, you posted a Jordan Peterson clip today and said that your, uh, that your marriage was strengthened by uh weekly or twice a week date night and 90 minutes of conversation with your wife. Uh, that, that, that leads me to believe that you might be somewhat successful at marriage. So I'd like mm. you to speak at it, speak about it.
1: Well, she needs about three times 90 minutes. Um, <laughs> but uh, and she actually said that today, we were just, we were just watching TV before this. And uh, so I met my wife in high school and I was attracted to her because she was, and this is not a negative thing when you say she's not like other girls, like as if girls are bad. Um, yeah. Women are amazing, mystical creatures, but um, she was, she worked a job because she wanted to family's very affluent but she wanted to work for her own money Uh, she played two sports was a state mvp in one of them she's the valedictorian Um, she's 5'10 and when i met her i was 5'3 because i had basically not hit puberty yet (laughs) so she's this you know amazon goddess um you know she looked like a 25 year old yeah she looked like a 25 year old when i met her in the ninth grade i was like who is this you know coming from a very small (laughs) christian private school i was like what is happening what are these feelings, you know? Um, so yeah, I've known her now for 16 or 17 years. Um, in two weeks, it'll be, uh, our ninth anniversary of being married. Same. Um, What day? Uh, uh, the 31st.
0: The 31st. Okay. We're, we're, we're the 22nd. So there you go. Uh, so I guess we're one week. Sorry, one Yeah, don't,
1: I hope your wife didn't hear this. <laughs> yeah. uh, one well, week. Maybe well, you'll release it Release it after.
0: So funny story, actually, not to derail yours, but uh, on that topic, I can never remember what day it is because we changed it. Um. So, like, we changed oh. it from a Friday to a Saturday. So I guess it's always the one afterwards. But I always think it's the 21st because we got married on 5, 22, 21. And for, like, six months, the wedding was going to be on the 21st. And then now I can't ah. remember – what day it was
1: you have a good excuse excuse. most men that forget just don't care
0: yeah well you know it is what it is it also she actually (laughs) had her her dress hanger actually came in with the wrong date on it so it came in with like the 22nd when it was still supposed to be the 21st and so we had to get all that fixed and then we had to fix it again it was it was a nightmare (laughs) so anyway that's why i was (sighs) like two weeks oh that's yeah anyway continue i apologize
1: well oh no worries um yeah nine years we started Yeah, we started dating um, in, I guess that was junior year, and right around that time, she actually got diagnosed uh, with a pretty rare cancer, and um, so she had just turned 17, then got diagnosed, had some major surgeries, ended up uh, being treated through St. Jude for two years, Um, so we made it through all that, and then uh, we got married when I was 21, and uh, she was 20. and. Collectively, I had like six months left in school, and collectively, that first year of marriage, I think we made like $10,000 together. Um, lived in a 600 square foot apartment and spent $68 uh, a week on food, budgeted everything. You know, um, we would go to there's a little local Italian restaurant that doesn't exist anymore called D'Angelo's, and um, once a month we would go there for $21, including the tip and get the fried ravioli appetizer, a little Caesar salad and two glasses of water. And that was our date night. But, um, it's awesome. Yeah. My dad always told me, um, and this is good advice for any of the men that are listening, uh, take this as you will, but whatever you get one of, she gets two of, um, and whatever <laughs> it is that <laughs> you understand, whatever it is that, uh, whatever it is that she wants to do, whether you think it's unreasonable or not, have the conversation, so she might say, "Hey, I want to go to vacation to England one day." Well, maybe we're not doing that next month, you know. But hey, let's plan. Let's talk about it. Have those conversations about what her goals are and what she's interested in, and don't just make it about mm-hmm. yourself. Don't be selfish. Um, he also told me that uh, always date your wife. So when you were pursuing her and wooing her as a as a dating partner, as a you know, a courtship or whatever, whatever your uh, wooing of a woman dating a woman classification falls into you treat them a certain way right you're yeah. always trying to put them first you're always trying to put them ahead of you you're always trying to make sure that they feel loved cared for safe doted protected on um, everything you can think of to make them have the best possible experience so why would that change when you get married like ha I gotcha now i'm going to be like a lazy piece of shit no yeah so if you always date your wife meaning that you always pursue her as if she wasn't, uh, stuck with you. She'll never have any reason to feel another way. Um, yeah. and that, that is like the best possible advice, man. Um, and that means things like spontaneous stuff. It could be, Hey, are you too tired to go out to eat? No, I feel good. Okay, cool. Put your, uh, you know, put your favorite pair of pants and shoes on. We're going to watch a movie. We're going to go, go out to dinner. Spontaneous, be creative, be happy, and then also plan things. My wife likes to have a plan sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I'll be like, hey, when are you free next week? Let's plan a date night and we'll go get a nice steak and whatever. She likes to dress up and put on the designer shoes and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I plan those things and she plans those things sometimes so that we can have that time. Um, I think that another key part of that, um, and this is going to sound weird because it seems like it would be obvious treat your wife exactly like how you would want to be treated by a partner. Mm -hmm. Um, If there's something that you wish your wife would do, you better be doing it for your wife. And people don't get that. They feel like they need to be put on a pedestal, but if we want to get spiritual with it and talk about the way um, Christ uh, loves the church and the way the church loves Christ. That's the model of marriage, right? Well, what did Mm -hmm. Christ do for the church? Uh, He was brutally murdered (laughs) and was okay with it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so how, is, how should we be loving our wife? Even if she betrayed us, we should be willing to die in the most brutal possible way for her. So why would I balk at the smallest things? Yeah. Um, you know, like I cooked dinner. She she was like, hey, I'm headed home at like 3.30 today. I'm really hungry. I had a long day. I haven't eaten yet because she does surgery. So when things are back to back, she doesn't even get to eat. So I dropped everything, cooked, her, cooked the pasta she likes, got her fresh Diet Coke and the little koozie sleeve thing she has that keeps it, cold for 10 hours or whatever put her favorite show on netflix sat down we ate you know i would love it if i came home and she did that for me right and if she there's times when she does those things so i'm doing that because i'm like man this is going to mean a lot to her not because i feel obligated or because i'm trying to win anything you're like oh if i you know if i cook her dinner i'll get to have sex you know that's if that's your (laughs) if that's your you know that's a lot of guys motivation wait that's
0: not that's not (laughs) <laughs> what <laughs> that, you mean i learned to cook for no reason
1: right hey Man. i cook all the meals and let me just say Same. It's, it's been a good thing for Same. me but Absolutely.
0: um 100% indoors <laughs> i literally my wife doesn't doesn't touch my my kitchen yeah. stuff anyway sorry didn't mean to I, derail I you custom, again, look, i got
1: but... like custom pans and everything you know like yeah I yeah, run, yeah. I go all out um but you know that's the thing my dad told me when uh, i was cook i was washing something because that was one of my chores and he's like let me do that buddy I was like, I'm already halfway done. He's like, No, please let me do that. <laughs> I was like, Why do you want to wash the dishes? And he said, please, You understand you're we're older, but yeah. He said uh, that the <laughs> kitchen is the quickest way to the bedroom, and bro, uh, And whatever, you know? so,
0: whatever you get one of, she gets two of. <laughs> Don't think that I didn't catch that.
1: <laughs> uh, write that down. Yeah, write that down. So, but I mean, that's true that if you treat your wife sacrificially. If you put yourself below her, not out of some misguided, like, oh, she's not capable or because I'm a man, I have to do all the hard things. This is the person you chose to spend the rest of your life with. And they chose you. They don't love you. Cause like, you know, you've seen that thing about like your parents love you because they had you, your siblings love you because they're related to you, your yeah. spouse, the only person that actually chose to be with you. That's an incredibly special person. And then you deserve that sacrificial level of love. And I think that, um, that sort of motivation will pervade all the other ones, um, like our our EFT challenge, the the fitness challenge, it's mm-hmm. caused a lot of waves because one of the criteria for the challenge is that you don't watch any pornography during that ninety days. yeah, and that that is really shaking a lot of people up because it's kind of that whole like I can quit anytime I want. Um, <laughs> they don't think they don't think it's a problem. I don't get it. it's a, it's a victimless crime, you know that kind of thing. But when you put your marriage in the perspective of this woman's heart and soul is mine to protect and cherish, and I am going to go basically cuck myself with pixels on a screen, it it shatters the sanctity and the preciousness of that. Yeah. Um, and to when you really put it in the perspective of you are killing this woman's spirit, you're killing her internally – Um, To be putting some random person on a screen over her, when you could be putting all that energy and all that hormonal drive and all those things into loving her, you're just Mm -hmm. wasting it on a screen, you know? So um, that's kind of how I approach my marriage, I guess. Um, And it's it's worked so
0: far. That No, that, again, you're singing the song of my people. (laughs) Um, We actually, I don't know how much you looked at the the Purpose podcast, but we have a whole series uh, on Wednesdays called One Flesh. Uh, where all mm. we talk about is is marriage that's that's all we talk about and if, if you're interested i typically do this off recording but uh if you're interested i'd like to get you on for some more some more one flesh episodes um oh, that'd be to, awesome to talk that'd specifically awesome. about uh, about marriage um clint walker you does to get that my with dad you'd okay, get my cool. dad
1: on there at some point um yeah. he's never, i don't think he's ever done a podcast but he does podcast ministry like he'll do sermons record them so the church could listen to him so i'll talk to him about it but That'd be really cool um, he would he'd be a great guy because i mean i learned all those things from him
0: yeah no that that would be that would be really cool and uh well and what i would want to get uh just spitballing and storyboarding or whatever the fuck you call it uh but what i <laughs> what i would want to get is eventually the the old and the new not that your dad's old mm-hmm. don't don't uh mm-hmm. you know he's almost papa, 60 yeah papa arsenal please don't <laughs> uh, take that the wrong way but um i, I want to get the the two mixed perspectives eventually i think that would be really cool yeah. um but uh so where was I going with that? Oh, number one, I need to know about the EFT challenge. That's next. Uh one flesh, we kind of discussed that. You're good with that. We'll figure that out later. Um on on the marriage front. Oh, that's what I was gonna say is uh I I have a book recommendation for you, even though if you're like me, you've got 20 of them that you need to read. Uh I have
1: literally twenty on my nightstand right now, but I'll add a yeah. to stack.
0: Uh it's have you heard of Skin in the Game by Matt Taleb? Um you might, you might look at that one. It, 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 he talks about not the golden rule, but the silver rule. And it's the negative of the golden rule. Basically, the importance of not treating somebody the way that you don't want to be treated. And kind of the idea that that's how society really conducts itself uh, yeah. is instead of treating somebody how they want to be treated, how society really stands on its backbone is, is not treating somebody the way that you don't want to be treated. Right. Um, and so you I don't I think, go out
1: of your way to be nice. You just don't do mean things.
0: Yeah, and I think the dichotomy of that uh, in a marriage is is extremely important. Um, and oh it's God, been a yeah. while. It's been a while since I've read that, and I didn't come prepared with that. But I think you you would you would find it's the great. book really interesting, especially it's since great. you did uh, you did fine international finance. Um, I think the book, the reason that I haven't continued it is because I think it, it it's I think it's analysis of markets and stuff like that uh, from the point of skin in the game. I probably need to read it. Uh, but you you might actually really like that. So uh, I it, probably it, would. Yeah, it, it's called Skin in the Game, and it's about asymmetries. Uh, I'll I'll send it to you. Um, later. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Awesome, man. So what's what's uh in the future? You you strike me as a guy that uh would want kids in the future. Am I wrong about that? How does the family look in the future?
1: Man, the, the biggest issue with it is that we both have very demanding careers. So last year I was on the road like 113 days and this year we have twice as many classes. Yeah. The way that I was raised, our parents were very involved. I don't know how to do that if I'm traveling all the time. Um, right. So if they, if they are in the cards, it's not uh, anytime soon just because I wouldn't be able to give them the time that you should give children. Um, and an that example of that, my brother Garrett, he he runs Orion Concepts. That's like our our like weaponized meme page. Um <laughs> Yeah, it does all the like apparel and merchandise and he's like because it's a separate LLC but it's affiliated, he can get away with some of the stuff that I couldn't get away with. Yep. Uh, he is very he's very inflammatory and it just like just whips people up into lights of fire under their ass to get different stuff done. Um but he's just a pinnacle of a man. Um I love him to death, look up to him a lot. Uh, we were going to play some Battlefield 1 tonight, but he said he's too tired because his kid uh, keeps peeing his pants in bed. So he keeps <laughs> having to get up and change him, you know. Uh, so that's that's where we're going with this is he puts his children first in a way that I don't think a lot of modern fathers understand. Uh, and certainly not the fathers of, of the generation that raised us. So um, when he was born, his dad was out hunting,
0: you yeah. know
1: just a very different style of things whereas well
0: now hold on now hold on now i i i sympathize okay (laughs) (laughs) i sympathize
1: i get it it if that's something you agreed on it's like hey i don't want to be here okay i don't want you to be here okay go do something where you can relax i get that
0: no 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 i'm completely kidding (laughs) that's completely (laughs) ridiculous i'm just a hunter (laughs) there are people that
1: are like i don't want to be you know i don't want to be anywhere around there and the wife would also rather than not be there that's funny um but I think in this situation, um, not to talk about his family, but he was raised in a way that I think his dad was a little more hands off
0: with him yeah.
1: than he wants to be with his kids. And I see the contrast in the way that just generation—not speaking poorly of his father, but generationally—the stuff he's doing with his kids, guys, and my dad, and and they, they wouldn't have done those things, right? Um, yeah. So. Put, I'll put it this way. When he is at work and he works from home, he manages almost a billion dollars in uh, cost for a very large company. And um, it's just an absolute wizard, wrote the Excel programs. that runs their whole cost program. I mean, he's just a brain at this kind of stuff. And uh, when his kids come knock on his office door, he stops what he's doing to go see what they need. You know, awesome. he helps his wife. Yeah. He helps his wife parent when he gets done with work at four o'clock, he turns his phone off and he plays with them outside. I I was at there. I went and visited them for a week uh, last month and his four-year-old is eating steak and avocado and uh balsamic vinegar and, you know, running around playing outside. And, you know, I mean the way that, the way that they're raising their children very holistically um, with a lot of involvement from him. Yeah. I see that as like the, the peak fatherhood, if that makes sense. So he is raising his kids in a way that he's as integral to them as the time they spend with their mother, but he's not treating them as a mother does. He, he's. I saw something the other day that says the mother teaches love, the father teaches survival. Um, you know, they're in the gym. They have a, like a little tykes workout set. So when he's yeah. in there working out, they're, they're working out with a little colored, like brightly colored play set, weights,
0: that's really and, cool. Um, I may, yeah, I may, be, I may follow him. Yeah, go check out
1: uh, Orion Concepts. It's, uh, I think it's Orion underscore Concepts underscore. But um, he's, uh, and that's the other thing about him. Uh, you know, I'm really big on fitness and all that, but he's twice as disciplined as I am. Uh, dude cool. is absolutely shredded. Um, so when I think about like fatherhood and going back to like me having kids, um. I know that I couldn't be as involved with them as I'd want to be right now. And my that wife works. Yeah. She works, you know, five tens, 10s, sometimes. And she's on call two, three nights a week. Uh, Cause they're so short on people, you know? So it's like, where's the raising of children happen in that? That's, um,
0: yeah. No, that makes, that I makes think, complete sense.
1: Yeah. Well, people, and people have kids without thinking about that. So they go have a child because it's what they're supposed to do. And then they have to pay someone else to raise their kids in daycare. And that's, I'm not putting down on people that's the, that's the modern economy is what it is. Even in a yeah. two income household, you know um, you end up paying forty, fifty thousand $50,000 a year daycare. And then some stranger is raising your kid. That's the reality we live in. I don't want to be a part of that. You know, so I'm. we would have to figure out a way to have someone be at home or have family help or something. And that's just not in the cards right now.
0: That's what I was going to ask is if, if you, if you got OTG, and we we don't have to if if it's an uncomfortable it doesn't sound like it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation but uh, is there any point like if you got OTG to a certain point is she the type that would want to come stay home and raise children is that in the cards at all I don't
1: think so right now she's so driven and that you know I didn't get to talk about her as much as I thought I was going to because I got I started talking about um, you know how to how to be married and not necessarily about my wife um, but just she's a very driven person like I said one of the things that attracted to me attracted me to her in high school was her work ethic yeah. um you know when other girls were having parties she was going to work and earning her own money and staying late at school and practicing and stuff like that so she is very um driven to be successful and to uh achieve the highest she can in her field uh, i think she's one of the if not the only surgery fellow pa in louisiana so a fellow means like you went for a whole other extra year of school in your specialty That's cool. um yeah. So, um, yeah, it would mean one of us having to stay home. And frankly, that would probably end up being me because the way, the nature of my business is that I could eventually could pass work off all the training. Yeah. I could, yeah. and I already do like, if I'm not on the road, I'm here. So if there was a way for me to stop being on the road, it would end up being me. Um, yeah. which, I, which would sounds, have, I would have a blast doing. Oh yeah.
0: that that seems yeah. kind of like what Mike with grand thumb is doing. You know, like he, he is traveling right now, but, um, yeah, that's kind of, he he's kind of a model for, model for being able to build up like oh, something yeah, like that dude. and be a dad uh i i, I want to oh, get God. him on so bad eventually he's he's such a a giant um have you yeah.
1: uh have you ever asked him to come on
0: yeah uh i, I talked i was a patreon a patron member for a while uh and i think that was right about the time that he just blew up um yeah. that he just blew up and I, i've i sent him an instagram message but he's so damn busy and i've i mean i've got a hundred followers so i wouldn't blame him if he like looked at my podcast account and was like, who, who is this guy? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but well, I mean,
1: you say that, you say that, but, um, I think when he had us on, we were like right at 50,000 and he was yeah. in like, you know, 500,000. Um, yeah. he's, he's really big. He didn't get any exposure from us. You know what I mean? We didn't bring anybody yeah, yeah. out of the grand thumb. So I don't, uh, and, and from the time that I've spent with him in person, he's super humble, like normal person. That's um, cool. Yeah. uh, And it's just like hanging out with one of the guys, you know? So I think that, uh, and you know, when we, when we did filming, he was like, look, man, I gotta, I have to put the character on, please don't hate me. Um, because he has to play a character for the film, you know? Yeah. Um, not that he's not a quirky, you know, weirdo in real life, just like we all are, but, um, he is playing sort of a character. And when that, when the film is not rolling, it's just one of the guys. Um, and uh we text occasionally you know keep up so i i I will text him and be like hey i had an amazing time on this podcast you go talk to this guy
0: dude Um, i i I, man that is that that, that's so cool i I don't want to like i didn't want to like no that's cool man if you would do that that would be that would be awesome that is like dude that is one of one of my like premier guests when i got mojo on i had mojo on and that was like awesome well, like, that was just so cool to even have Mojo on, because, like, part of my gun culture, like, intro to that was him shoving that Sigmag, was it Sigmag into a Glock?
1: holding yeah, the Sigmag uh, into the Glock. Yeah, That's yeah, the yeah. first time I ever saw him. I was like,
0: what is he doing? Yeah, dude. First time I'd ever even known him. And, like, that was, and so getting Mojo on. And, uh, of course, he's a super busy dude, too. He actually showed me. I don't remember if it was on the podcast or after. He was like, look, dude. He was like, uh, you're free to text me. And I'm going to try to reply, but he showed me his message notifications and he had like 800 of them. <laughs> and, and he yep. was like, I clear this monthly. And I was like, Jesus, bro. Um, yeah. and so Mike's I've been talking way, to him, dude. but yeah. Uh, so I got a, I got kind of a, an invitation to go shoot with Mojo and, and eventually I'm going to want to take him up on that, but, um, that's, awesome. no, that's really cool, man. But, uh, dude, let's, uh, I think the last thing that, um, I wanted to talk about with you. We talked about kids. We talked about doing all of that. Uh, we talked about marriage. What else, man? I I can't think of anything else uh, that needs to be said just in this podcast. Do you have anything else for me? Anything unsaid? Any questions? Anything like that?
1: Um, I would say just as like a final thing to encourage people because I know when I listen to podcasts, I don't like to come away depressed, and uh, <laughs> I don't think this is I don't think this has been a depressing episode. I'm not saying that, but it is. If I could leave like with one thing for people, it would be that in the pursuit of uh, self-analysis, don't let your judgment be that you're unworthy. Let the judgment be that you need to improve. So every day I'm beating myself up about something. Like, for example, I fell asleep on the couch today for like an hour and a half when I wanted to go work out. That was the time I had set aside in my schedule to work out, and I fell asleep on the couch. And right. I woke up and I was like, you are a piece of shit. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's going to be nine o'clock and you're going to be trying to work out. you are going to be tired for the next day. I got to travel a bunch this week. Like you missed your opportunity. But the reality is I'm catching up on sleep that I missed from being awake for 36 hours earlier in the week. My body's just tired. So yeah. in your introspection of like, did I meet my goals? Am I doing the right things? Blah, 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 blah. If there's some small failure don't analyze it as like I have failed and now I'm unworthy analyze it as I failed. And so I need to make some kind of improvement That's, and then take that as part of the journey. You've got to, you've got to be on the journey upward and not put yourself down.
0: Dude. I, I, I was just thinking about this earlier today. Uh, I guess you could call it a God thing. Um, I'm, I'm not, we'll have this discussion later that, you know, I'm not, I'm new to adult Christianity, but uh, I was thinking this earlier. Uh, on the way home from work is like, man, my inner monologue is the asshole that everybody needs. <laughs> um, you know, because yep. <laughs> when you miss those workouts, uh, you know, or when you uh do something like that to yourself, uh I like that you said not unworthy, uh, but room to improve. I, I really like that. Did is that is that original? Can I quote that from you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't I've never heard anyone yeah. else say it that way. Um that's just that's what I tell myself. Um, at the risk of sounding like a motivational tape, like you are really, <laughs> um if you've ever watched Veggie Tales, you are a skilled metal worker, you know, it's I just <laughs> there's so much negativity out there, especially in the gun community, of like, oh, you're not this, well, you must be a piece of shit, Well, you know, it's just this just this compounding level of just ego. Mm-hmm. the last thing we need, and it is something I struggle with is to be our own worst enemy and say in the process of trying to look inward and improve damning ourselves you know yeah. um if we want if we want to get spiritual with it um christ when he was crucified was aware of every sin that placed him there so think about the 120 billion people that have existed since the beginning of time mm-hmm. every single one of their sins placing there he was aware of and he still chose to sacrifice because he knew that we were worthy um that that I don't know how I could ever say that I'm unworthy because I fell asleep on the couch. If that kind of thing's going on in the background, metaphysically speaking. Um, Now it's getting really deep. That's getting really deep. Um, I'm not saying that you should justify poor behavior uh, because Uh, sacrifices were made.
0: Yeah. You know, well, and because you're worthy, that's why you owe it to, to improve. That's what I was going to say is, you know, your, your worth is why you owe it to improve because you are worth something. That's why you need to get off your ass. Um, yeah, and so. and
1: it, I don't think it was Aurelius. Uh I read enough of the Stoics that I get them mixed up. It might have been Socrates, but it's like uh you know, no man uh has the right to not know the like the highest potential his body can achieve or something to that effect. Um it gets used a lot in these like these edits of you know, motivational quotes and stuff yeah. that they're using the AI for. But yeah, I mean <laughs> you you don't have the right to not pursue greatness. You're yep. meant to pursue what it is that you're great at. And um, if you're not, if you didn't do that enough today, well, guess what? Do it more tomorrow. It doesn't mean you yeah. failed and now you get to quit. So awesome. don't take the whole, yeah, don't take the whole introspection thing as like, oh, I'm finding ways to damn myself. You know, it should be, I'm finding ways I can improve tomorrow. Um, another thing that my mom liked to talk about, and I took it and ran with it, and it's something that just by happenstance, because they have a lot of young men that follow OTG, they come and ask for advice. And I don't always feel like I'm the person to give the advice, but I don't want to say, hey, I don't have any advice for you. They're coming to me. So I'm going to tell them something that I believe is true. What you focus on right now is going to be reflected in three years. So if you think about every day that you make a choice, its result is three years from now. And you think of that every day, guess what's going to happen in three years? Your life's going to look really good. This is self-fulfilling prophecy. So if every day I wake up and say, hey, I can improve in this way, three years from now my life's gonna look a lot better than if every day i woke up and said i'm not good enough i'm not gonna try it's
0: easy. yeah you know man, just make I, the right
1: choices every day
0: man i i really dig uh dig what you're uh what you're giving us here i've got like i hope that we can uh create a good relationship and that you like talking to me because i've got like 30 episode ideas uh just <laughs> off of this one episode of 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 different things to talk about um especially that has the one... happened
1: every time dude uh every time I've been on a <laughs> podcast i end up with a we, we plan a follow-up right afterward uh wednesday yeah, i'm yeah, filming yeah. again with art and war i got another one coming up with forest eventually so oh yeah, i love art and be, war yeah uh, yeah i'll be there on wednesday so um and i don't know i think nathan usually posts them within a or uh mitch posts them within uh you know a month or two so um Sweet
0: yeah sweet art art and war is uh is really cool so man uh i think that uh that's probably all i've got for the recorded session i just realized that i don't think that i got the video so cutting reels um, out of this is gonna <laughs> damn it this is gonna be the one that i was gonna cut reels on and i forgot to record video too Ah, uh, um okay uh so Anyway, um, man, I think that I've got everything. Uh, Jared Arseno, I've got your uh, got your last name down. Uh, it is spelled <laughs> exactly how you think that the Cajuns would spell it. Uh, give everybody yes. your. Uh, <laughs> um, I was. I, that was the other thing is I didn't know exactly where you were from until you sent that. And then I was like, Oh, okay. Cause I was thinking like, could be North Carolina. Like you could, even some of your videos, I was like, he could be up in the Pacific Northwest. He did something with Mike. You know what I'm saying? I thought you were like a military dude. And then you sent that. And I was like, Oh, I, yep. He's right there. I get it. Um, Go Tigers. Yeah. (laughs) Go Tigers. Um, Tigers. Anyway, man, give uh, your, uh, I believe it's Orion training group is your Instagram, correct?
1: Yeah. Orion underscore training underscore group.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Yes, please go follow this guy. Even if you're not into the gun stuff, I know a lot of you. Um, I have somebody that are that some people that are some people that aren't. Number one, if you're a man, you should be because uh, if you're a man, that means you live somewhere. That means you have a house. That means that there's people mm-hmm. living around you. Uh, that means that it's your responsibility to protect them. So quit being a bitch. Uh, buy a firearm and learn Amen. how to use it. I'm talking to you, Jonah. I know you listen to this. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's Orion underscore training underscore group. Uh, go follow him. He's actually got a a, a good. Tell me about this uh this uh deal that you've got this Louisiana cop. I I, I didn't I saw it and I, I knew I needed to share it. I didn't read it long enough to be able to talk about it. Um, tell me a little bit about this uh this uh, fundraiser this Corporal Sean Kelly that you've got the behind the line.
1: Uh, so Sean works at the department where I'm a training officer. Uh, so he's a coworker of mine, and um, he's got 25 years in law enforcement. He has a 19 year old, a five year old, and a wife. And he was responding to a domestic and on approach got shot in the neck and the leg with an AR. Um, And as of right now is in a coma, but uh, the fund there's a blood drive. Um, I'm not sure if it's still ongoing and I'm sure it won't be when the podcast is published, but um, there's multiple fundraisers Uh, behind the line is the main one. Um, And if you go on our page, I'll pin the post on my story but um you can also look up denham springs police department or dspd and contact them about how to donate um that's down here in denham springs louisiana and that's uh we don't really i mean at this time that this is being recorded we don't really know what his chances are he's been in a coma for a while but he's at least stable um but the idea is the funding can go to you know physical therapy or whatever else he may need or you know if he passes away um, the money goes to his family, a hundred percent of all of the donations go straight to his family.
0: Sweet. Okay. Yeah. I, I just wanted to let you wrap that. I can't, I can't promise yeah. that we'll, we'll be a huge motivator for, for cash. The, the three people that listen hey, to this will at least go, at <laughs> <will laughs> least go share it. <laughs> um,
1: Anything helps, man.
0: So awesome. Yeah. I, I at least, I at least shared it and, uh, hopefully we can, we can get a few dollars and cents off of that. It sounds like he's a, a pillar of, of your community at least. Um, he's a so, great guy. Awesome. Well, Jared Arsenal, I think we're, we've uh, over-talked us enough. Everybody, thank you for uh, listening to this. This has really been a, a really, really good podcast. Uh, Jared has a lot of, a uh, lot of good things to say. He's, uh, he's learned, as they like to say, well-read, um, <laughs> you know, very educated. And uh, he brings that, uh, he, he shows that quite well and he's not only educated formally but it seems like he's educated with experience so uh go follow orion training group i say this with a lot of people but if i ask you if you've listened to the purpose podcast lately and you say no man i've just been watching all these orion training group videos i'm gonna be like oh okay that's fair (laughs) um i say i say it every time but i mean it go go watch that uh he's got some valuable stuff on there him and his guys uh i barely was able to remember his name i'm not gonna remember his night his guy's names and i apologize uh, but I don't go watch it
1: sometimes either. <laughs>
0: um, I, I watched that, uh, I watched the button hooking video where y'all talked about, uh, the twister. Mm. Um, I watched that today, uh, which is still, it's wild to me, but, um, go, go watch that. Go learn a little bit, uh, as they like to say, uh, your first time, if, if the time that you actually have to do CQB is your first time, you're going to die. So, um, yep. go, go practice it uh anyway thanks jared thank you for giving me your time it sounds like you've had a long you've been awake for a while and uh you you probably had plenty <laughs> of reasons to uh to to cancel this podcast and i appreciate you for showing up and giving me your time so
1: no nah, man i was looking forward to it um my wife knows I, I love going on these because it gives me a chance to say what i think um somebody yeah. has to listen to me but it's not going to be her you know um, so <laughs> I got, yes i, I know got exactly what I'm you say, mean so. <laughs> she's not awesome. listening to the podcast you know yeah. Um, but no, man, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, I hope that I can come back onto it, uh, at some point. And, uh, of course I'll be, I'll be sharing it and making sure all the folks, um, at, at OTG share it as well. So hopefully you get some good exposure out of it and people can listen to this and get something productive out of it.
0: That's awesome, man. I, I really, I really appreciate it. We're going to go ahead and uh, hit in, Oh, tune into the one flesh podcast. Hopefully we'll be able to have Jared on that, uh, pretty soon. Talk about, talk about marriage. Cause I know all you guys, uh, you need help either a finding a woman or B keeping their, keeping her uh, I know plenty <laughs> of you need help with that so uh, tune in and listen to guys like Jared that uh, have been doing it for longer than you have and have a lot of success so anyway thanks guys thanks. we'll see you later.